0: Amen. Our core kids are dismissed to their classes now. And you can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Um, This morning we have a special, special guest with us today. Um, He is a brother that is dear to my heart. He's a mentor to me. He's like a father. And um, I love him. I met him a couple of years back in a Bible study. It was the first time I ever went to a gym to work out and was told about a Bible study that was there. And I attended the Bible study, and we developed a relationship since then. And as I said, he's been such a blessing to me. as uh, a man that loves Jesus, loves his word, and he is here to bless us today. Can you put your hands together for Dr. Pete Owenson as he comes forward? All right. Thank you. What great worship this morning, huh? Amen. That was. We have worshipped. Uh, we have, we have read the word. We have sung. Uh, we have clapped. We have, we have worshipped, and now we're going to worship as we look into God's holy. You thought you weren't going to get a sermon today, right? You are, uh, but uh, it's a privilege to be with you. And I love I love Bishop Quinones and Minister Elaine. I appreciate them so much, and the staff of this church. And uh, you know we go we go back several years now, right? Uh, and and uh, we were in a Bible study together, like you said, and uh, your bishop is on our leadership team. Forge is a ministry to men that uh, meets on Tuesday morning at Canterbury Retreat Center, a little plug. Uh, but he's on our leadership team and speaks. You know, when I when I speak, they go, thank you. And when he speaks, you know what they do? They clap. <laughs> they clap. They do. They don't clap for me. They clap for him. And so, uh, you have a great uh, bishop, how we appreciate him, uh, and we love your church and the opportunity to worship. Well, today, we're going to look into God's Word in James, a great series that's been going on. What's the the name of the series? Testify. Testify. Testify in the book of James. You know, there's a lot of wisdom for pastors to just preach through books of the Bible, right? And, and the wisdom in that is that as you preach through books of the Bible, you deal with subjects that you wouldn't normally deal with. Uh, I have favorite passages in the Bible that I underline. Yeah, and we can come up with a fifth gospel if we're not careful. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the gospel according to Pete. You know, uh, Those <laughs> verses that I really like more than others. But when you preach through a book like you're doing here, and have done several times, you deal with subjects that God wants us to deal with, whether we really want to or not. So it's a great, great thing that you're doing, going through the book of James. I love this book. How many poets do we have here today? Any poets? Poet, nobody? One hand? One hand, one hand, one hand. Okay. I'm not much into poetry, you know, and you ask my wife. She goes, no, you don't quote poetry. Uh, I'm not much into, into poetry. I figure if you've got something to say, say it right? So poetry is language that I don't really understand. But there's, there's, I looked it up the other day. There is a poem that is America's most favorite poem, and, and it, has all of, it has all the wins. You know what it is? No, of course you don't, because you're not poets. Nobody raised their hand. But the, but, but the poem that is the most famous is actually called The Road Not Taken. The Road Not Taken. There's a book that Scott Peck wrote about years ago. It's called The Road less traveled less travel and and everybody thinks this is the poem no the poem was the road not taken and so let me let me uh, set it up for you here because you don't like poetry so I'm just going to set it up for you a little bit right okay here two roads diverged in a yellow wood I guess it's the fall and the leaves are changing and sorry I could not travel both you can't go down two different roads can you no you can only get down one road at a time And one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other just as fair. So he looked at two roads that came up at him, and he said, I could go this way, and I could go this way, and he chose one. He didn't know which one looked better, but he just decided to take the one. Now, the words that are really the famous words are in the last stanza. It says, I shall be telling this with a sigh, Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Anybody heard that one? Yeah, now you know, now you know. Uh, you didn't know which poem it was, I, I hardly knew that. You know why Americans love this poem? Why they say they like it so much is because the, it, it speaks of our radical sort of independence, here I am. I'm looking at which road I want to go down in life, and I'm making the choice. I'm looking at one road or the other road, and I decide to go down this road, and, and I, I am unique. That's what this poem is saying. I, that's what people think this is saying. I'm unique. I don't care what anybody else does. I'm going to go down this road. And, and so it sort of speaks to the radical American independence that is a part of our culture, uh, yeah, I don't care what you think. I'm doing my own thing. Don't get in my way. But actually, that's not what this poem is talking about. Robert Frost wrote it, and one scholar was looking at this at this poem and said, you know, that poem's not about radical independence. Here's what the poem is about. Three things. Number one, it's about making choices. Life is about making choices, isn't it? Every day, you decide what you're going to wear uh, today to church, what you're going to do this afternoon. Life is about making choices. Number two, the choices we make, the decisions we make, have consequences, right? So whatever road you choose, there's, a, there's an outcome. There's a consequence uh, to those decisions, for good or for bad. And then for at the end of our life, this is what this poem is actually saying. At the end of our life, we're going we're to tend to put the most positive spin on our life as we evaluate. You know, he says, he says, well, you see, I, I looked down this road, I looked down that road, I went down this road, and it made all the difference. See, I made a good choice. Now let me ask you this Do people always make the right choice when they, no, they don't. We don't. But at the end of our life, what we try to do is put the best spin on it. Yeah, you know, I made some mistakes, but in general, I went the right way. James, in this passage that we're going to read in just a minute, says some very similar things, but slightly different. He says, life is about decisions. And secondly, the decisions we make are very important. There are two wisdoms, two roads that we could go down. And the road we go down... The life that we choose is absolutely crucial. Either we go down the path we decide or we go down the path that that builds the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, James would say, at the end of our life, it doesn't matter what spin we put on our life. What matters is how God evaluates our life. And so we're going to be talking about wisdom, you the road we choose. There's two wisdoms, two ways to go. And 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 the the wisdom that we choose testifies to the faith that we profess. So life is about decisions. Let's read this text and then we'll unpack it. Okay? Here we go. Uh, first of all, I want you to know in James 3, verses 13 through 18, it says this Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by, by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. This is God's holy word. All right, I got three points for you. And I have, what, till 3 o'clock this afternoon? So, uh, no, three points, an hour each. No, 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 here we go. I want to I tell you about the way of true wisdom because he defines it. First of all, the way of true wisdom defined... Then the way of false wisdom, exposed. And then the way of true wisdom, um, detailed. So here we go. First point, the way of true wisdom defined. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? James is the leader of the church in what major city? Jerusalem. He's the leader of the church of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem uh, uh, right after the resurrection of Jesus. If there was a first pope, it wasn't Peter, it would have been James. James is the half-brother of Jesus, isn't he? Uh, We say half-brother because Jesus is God's eternal son. Uh, And so James was his half-brother. And imagine growing up in the home with Jesus. But uh, James is now the leader of the church. And we see that this is a group of Christians scattered all over Israel, Jewish Christians, Preeminently, Jewish Christians scattered all over Israel and then outside of Israel, too, to some extent. Are Jews known for getting along well with each other? What about the Old Testament? Did they fight at all? Uh, do you remember the time that the Jews were fighting with Moses and God said, Deliver me, help me? Uh, it was in the original, uh, in a paraphrase, in a footnote, but uh, Lord, help me with these people. So Jews are not easy, necessarily easy people to get along with. And there was a lot of struggle in these early churches. And we'll see this in James 4.1 next week. You are going to continue to teach through uh, in James 4.1. There's a lot of trouble in these churches. And there's a lot of political parties uh, in these churches. And James, uh, James had the same problem that Paul had. Were there problems in the church in Corinth? You remember that one? He said, some of you follow Paul, and some of you follow apollos and some of you paul follow peter and so there were divisions in the church in the early church and it always cracks me up when people say i wish we could go back to the time of the purity of the early church (laughs) you know you know pete if we could just go back to the early pure good days in the early church where people loved jesus and loved each other are you kidding me there were a lot of problems in the early church a lot of battles and a lot of difficult... Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians, and in that letter, what did he say at the very end of the letter? He, had, he wanted it... It was read on Sunday morning. He said, I urge Euodia and Syntyche, those are two ladies' names, to get along together in the Lord. Could you imagine if I did that today? Could you imagine if I... Well, you're sitting up... You were in the second, first service, too. Both of you were. You get three free sins for coming again uh, to, to church. <laughs> But what if I said, now, Pastor Aldo and Bishop, you guys got to get along. You're not getting along. They are getting along. But what if if I did that in church? What if I called you out? What if I was here and Bishop called me out? Oh, my goodness. I'd never come back. So there were divisions in the early church. And what we have to keep in mind is that um, it wasn't perfect back then. It's not perfect today. But if the church of Jesus Christ is going to make a difference, we've got to to be unified, don't we? We've got to have that unity of the spirit and the bond of peace or we're not going to move ahead. And and that's so important. That's what James is talking about here. Uh, And so uh, until Jesus comes, there's going to be problems in the church. As Martin Luther says, we're sinner saints. But uh, there was a struggle in the early church. And and in James 3.1 it says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. So there were there was a there was challenges and difficulties and so and so what James wants to do is he wants to define well who is truly a wise and understanding leader he wants to clarify that because we all tend to think we're wise and understanding don't we I mean don't you kind of think your opinion is probably the right opinion I do I mean I mean I think my opinions the right opinion we tend to and so so James wants to say, let, let's talk about who really is wise and understanding among you, uh, and he defines that. He says, let him show by his good conduct what his works are, that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. How many of you woke up this morning and said, I need to be more meek? That's not a word that we use much today, is it? Uh, Another word for meek would be the word, what do you think? Gentle. Gentle. So now now that you know that meek means gentle and gentle means meek, how many of you woke up this morning and said, I need to be more meek? No, no, that's not us. That's not natural for us guys. It's today, wake up, say, I got to win today. I got to make it happen today. Some of us woke up today thinking, I've got to convince so-and-so of my perspective so they'll go my way. Ladies, maybe it was you got to convince your husband, husbands, or maybe it was I got to, I got to convince my wife. Uh, we want to win. We don't think of this. And James is saying that the way of true wisdom and understanding in a church is a way where we choose the way of wisdom that comes from gentleness. And um, show true wisdom in your conduct. Don't just talk about it. In other words, it's one thing to talk about humility and how I attained it it's another thing to actually show it in your relationships James says show it in your conduct well that's kinda of convicting for marriage it's kinda of convicting for every area of life isn't it uh, show true wisdom in your behavior give evidence of it and here we see that wisdom is the focus not knowledge what's the difference wisdom is the, is the proper application of knowledge. We know a lot of things, don't we? Uh, at Ford, sometimes we ask the guys to say the books of the Bible in order. Bishop, if I asked you to do that, you could do that right now. Boom, books of the Bible. Genesis through Revelation. We, get, we know a lot of truth about Jesus, don't we? We know a lot of truths and what we should do and shouldn't do, right? Wisdom is the skillful application of the knowledge that God gives us in the Word. The problem is I know, I know much more than I'm actually applying. And so James is saying, what I want you to do is I want you not to just know things. I want you to understand uh, the, the, the wisdom of God is the proper application of that. Let it be seen in gentleness, in your relationships, because we need to apply the truth. The man came up to me after our meeting on Tuesday, followed me out to the car, a guy I've known for a long time, in tears. And guys, we know we don't cry a lot in public. We probably don't cry a lot. But he came up to me confessing a sin. He said, Pete, I I know better. I know the Bible. I know I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. My wife hates me. My kids hate me. I don't know what I'm going to do. And what he had done is he had fallen into a lifestyle where he had 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 the head knowledge, but he hadn't applied it, uh, and he hadn't applied it in his in his key relationships. I've done that too, I know. And so, wisdom is a skillful application of this. And James says, James says the the way to to successful relationships is the gentleness of wisdom applied in in relationships. Uh, this applied also in the ancient world. You know, this was written in the culture of the Romans and the Greeks. Great warriors. Who was the greatest Ro- uh, Roman warrior? I, I don't know, but maybe Julius Caesar? Who was the greatest Greek warrior of the time that these people would have known about? I'll give you a hint. His name was Alexander the Great. That was his literal last name. No. Alexander the great and you know what the Greeks hated the Greeks hated meekness they hated it because they were warriors Alexander was 32 years of age when he took over the world what a warrior he was and so this idea of meekness doesn't apply to them because you want to be a real man you're a warrior Uh, and yet what is who models this idea of meekness and gentleness perfectly. Jesus Matthew 11 Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And this the word is the same isn't it? Gentle. It's the same word. I love your pastor I love his strength you know he does CrossFit you know that don't you uh, I don't mess with him I get guy I, I try to be on his side he's strong he could lift me over his head like this bench me four or five or six times but he won't because he, he'll show me some dignity but the, one of the things I love about Bishop is that he really models this warmth and strength and I'm not saying he's Jesus okay you still have some sin, but he models this in a really wonderful way. One thing I admire about your pastor, and, uh, and I'm so glad that when I look at this text, listen, frankly, I'm, conv- I'm convicted about this text. You know why I am preaching this text today? Because your pastor gave this text to me to preach. I didn't ask to preach on it. And I'm convinced that he said, Pete, you need to preach on this text. You need this more than you know. (laughs) I do. I do. Because it's easier to put on my warrior than it's easier to put on my gentle. I need this. And I'm so thankful that when I fail in this way, I can run to Jesus who is my Savior. I'm glad that Jesus was perfectly gentle for me because I'm not perfectly gentle. I'm glad that he was perfect for me. I'm glad that he took my curse for me on the cross because I can't do this perfectly. And when I fail, that I can run to him and I can say, I wasn't gentle. I wasn't meek. I wasn't wise. Oh, help me. And what does he do? He forgives. And then he energizes through grace to move more in this direction. This is the way, guys, of true manliness, by the way. But it's difficult. It's a challenge. It really, really is. And so what James does first of all here is, is he gives us the way of true wisdom. He defines it. Gentleness is wisdom. And then he shows us the false way uh, of wisdom. He exposes it in verses 14 through 16. Here's the contrast to what he's just talking about. He's given us the road to go down. Now he's given us the road to... Not to go down, right? Because the wisdom you choose testifies to the faith that you profess. And so now he's going to tell us about the road not to go down. And he says in verse 14, but contrast, <laughs> if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. It's interesting. He talks about this word uh, uh, bitter envy here. It's actually two words here in the English, but in the Greek it's one word, and it's the word "zelos." which sounds like what? Jealous. It sounds like jealous. zealous. Let me say it a little clearer. Jealous. Zealous. Jealous. Zealous. Yes, ma'am. You said it right. Zealous. Is, is, is being zealous for something wrong? Now, let me ask you this. If you're zealous to be in shape and you're a runner, is that a good thing? Yeah, it's a good thing. If you're zealous to do good to other people, can zealous be a good word? It means eager. It means positive. It means uh, energetic. And it's interesting in the original language, though, obviously here it means to be taken in a negative way. So if I am zealous just for old number one, it it, it could be translated bitter envy. If I'm envious, and what is envy? You got something I don't have. You got something I want. But because you have it and I don't, I'm ticked that you have it, and I don't. I'm envious. I want it. And that leads to self-seeking or selfish ambition. So these two ideas here, he says, instead of the way of gentleness and wisdom, the road not to go down is the way of of envy and self-seeking in your heart. And he says, if you ever have envy and selfish ambition in your heart, if you ever have had that, Wait, well, let me ask you. Let me ask you. Has anybody ever had that? Thank you. I have. I have. If I've ever been envious of somebody, or if I've been, I've had selfish ambition. You know, ambition not for Jesus, but ambition just for Pete. I've had that. Absolutely. Um, he says, "Don't boast as if you didn't. Don't say, say 'Oh no, I'm doing this for Jesus.' You know, I love Jesus. I'm doing this for all the good motives." he says don't do that don't do that don't play a game like that he says this wisdom down that road that we're not supposed to take is is uh, does not descend from above look what he does here it's fascinating he says it's earthly it's sensual and it's demonic and that's a that's a downward step it's earthly but are Christians called to live on an earthly level no we've just we sang this morning about how we're living this supernatural life and and a life of selfish ambition and envy when I'm just envying you um, that's earthly that's just from the earth but it's not only that it's sensual step down unspiritual could be tra- a translation and then he says nope it's even worse than that it's what's that last word it's demonic that's where it comes from envy see envy and selfish ambition comes from my sin nature but it also is something our enemy brings to us all the time be envious you know he, he loves to bring that and he says don't go that way this is this is the road often taken But he's saying this is the road that we shouldn't take uh, because it's 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 ungodly wisdom and it's a it's an ungodly way to go and and it will it will hurt us big time and uh and so james is really calling us back to the gospel here isn't he he's hard on us isn't he but his brother was jesus and he saw a perfect example And he loved Jesus. What we don't often see in James is James breaking down in tears and saying, my elder brother went to the cross for me. What we don't see in the book of James is his agonizing over the reality that he sees his sin more than anybody sees his sin and that Jesus paid for it on the cross. Thank you for leading us in a great time of understanding the Lord's Supper. We were lost completely and could do nothing about it. And so, and so James brings us back to the gospel, and he tells us that our identity is not as sinners, but as daughters and sons who have been deeply forgiven, fully forgiven. That's our identity. You are not the car you drive. You are not the clothes you wear. You are are not even your failures. That's not the definition. A Christian's definition, our identity, is as deeply beloved and forgiven sons and daughters of the Most High God. And he leads us back to that, and he says, why would you want to go down that other road? You don't want to go down that road. Because uh, because the wisdom you choose testifies to, to, to the faith that you profess. And so James has given us the way of true wisdom. He's defined it. He's exposed the way of false wisdom, and now in his last point, and I know I have till three o'clock, but uh, we're going to wrap this up here pretty soon. And the, now what he does is he gives us the way of true wisdom, detailed. He kind of bookends this, doesn't he? he? Comes back to the right road to go down, and he shows us what that true wisdom looks like. I love this. But the wisdom that is from what above, above is first. What does pure mean? In the original language, it means pure. It means unmixed with air, doesn't it? It means uh, unmixed with sin. I, I love this. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, and then it's what? Gentle. There we are back at gentle. I don't want to be gentle. I want to win. I want to defeat. I want to conquer. I want to win the argument. No, the wisdom from above is willing to yield. Could that help in marriage? Some. Could that help with your parents? Some, if you were more willing to yield. Could that help in the church if we were willing to listen to each other? Um, It's full of mercy. What is mercy? Uh, grace is getting what you don't deserve mercy uh, uh, mercy is what having withheld what you do deserve there's mercy i love it bishop was telling me this week about uh the staff getting together and you guys had a discussion a theological discussion and you weren't looking looking forward to this Uh, because who's right when it comes to theological discussions you are of course you're the bishop all right amen (laughs) And the staff needs to be properly differential. <laughs> but on a, but on, on a staff, we have good men who will differ over theological points. Do we differ over, over biblical truth? If the subject was the subject was predestination. Oh, there you go. Hey, I'm a Presbyterian. We have breakfast on pre, on predestination. You yeah, know, that's no big deal for us. But there's a good, legitimate disagreement here. Uh, on, that's a tough subject, isn't it? Yeah. And so Bishop was thinking we got to get together and talk about it. And I said, "How did it turn out? How'd that discussion go?" And he goes, "It went great. Why? Be- because your because your team of leaders understands the things we've been talking about. Are they perfect at it? No. But they're modeling for us what we need to hear, what we need to see." this gentleness, this willingness to yield. Um, Our enemy is not each other or somebody that differs with us theologically or biblically here. Who's our enemy? He's the evil one. He wants to see the churches divided. He wants to see us fighting over things that are not that important. He wants us to keep, God wants us to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. And and so that's why James is hammering all of these things. Look what he says. He says the wisdom from above is full of good fruits. It's without partiality. It's without hypocrisy. You know the actors in uh, ancient Greece were called hypocrites. Did you know that? Uh, every time you watch a TV show or uh, you watch a movie, you're watching a bunch of hypocrites. Because they're play actors. That's all they are. They're playing a role. You know, these guys that are warriors or doctors, they're not really doctors. Superman was really not. (laughs) But in the body of Christ, we don't have to play games. And look how verse 18, the New Living Translation, translates this last verse really good. Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Isn't that great? I love that. How do we apply this rather straightforward teaching? Let me suggest some um, some things for us all in terms of how do we apply this kind of teaching uh, in, the, in the body of Christ here at Core Faith. And by the way, I love your name, Core Faith. The changes that have been made, uh, it really is powerful and speaks to me. The first thing I, w- I would want us to do is to remember. Remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us a new identity. That in Christ, to, to have the gentleness of wisdom is possible, <laughs> Because we've been set free from the path. I love that song. I'm free to I'm free to run. I'm free to. Dance. Some of you are actually dancing. Pretty good. Presbyterians don't know how to dance. All right. <laughs> uh, I want you to know that. You know. But yesterday, I was at a funeral of, of, of uh, the man who called me to Orlando over 30 years ago to plant uh, our church. And he was, he was paralyzed. He was not quite paralyzed when he first met me, but by the time he died, Last Tuesday, he was in a wheelchair, and he couldn't move. When he met me at the airport over 30 years ago, he had a cane, and he could barely walk. He'd been paralyzed as a 17-year-old as a man uh, on a trampoline accident. And he planted a vibrant church by God's grace over the years and called a couple of us to be church planters. And it was sad at his funeral, but it was great because we knew he could, he could run and he could dance. And he was Presbyterian too, so he finally learned how. <laughs> Isn't that great? The gospel, we need to remember that the gospel sets us free to this. I need to be reminded that the gospel, what if Jesus did in his death burial, sets me free to be more gentle? He really I need to remember that. Secondly, I need to praise him for the reality uh, that we can take the road not taken by most people. I think we need to remember who we are, but I think we need to also praise Him that we don't have to take the road that everybody else takes in our culture. We live in a culture of radical individualism. It's all about me. That's our culture. Uh, Joel had a shirt on in the first service, and uh, that shirt uh, across the front said, "Did you see him? What he was wearing?" Everybody, it says, "Revolt." And uh, I don't know what he's supposed to revolt again, against, but, um, but I love that show. I said, where'd you get that? I wear that often. And see, we're, we're the only radicals in American culture today. You're following Jesus. Is most of our culture following? No. Most of our culture is not following Jesus. They're ro- following the road they want to travel. They're following their own road, and they're saying, see how brave I am? I'm doing my own thing. Yeah, well, at the end of their life, they're going to put a great spin on it, but, but who knows how good it will really be. The only safe road to go down is the road that Jesus says for us to go down because we can't see around the bend, but he does. And so when we follow him, uh, we are truly free indeed. And so I think we need, we need to praise God for this freedom that we have to know how to follow what Jesus wants us to do. This is the way of gentleness is the way. And then third, I think we ought to memorize this text. James 3, 13 through 18. And uh, I tell the guys at, at Forge on Tuesday morning that when I go jogging, oftentimes I'll take a, my scripture verses with me in a plastic baggie because I sweat all over it. And I meant I memorize certain verses these verses I'm gonna memorize because I told you the reason I had to preach this is because Bishop made me and and Jesus wanted me to and I need these verses Uh, because it's easier for me to be a warrior than a gentle so memorize these verses Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The more we memorize, the more we get it into here, our minds are transformed. The gospel transforms us, and it affects our behavior. It just does. Look at the front of this. What does it say here? Truth requires a response. I didn't see that until the second service. Here's the response, is it affects it affects our lives. And then uh, fourth, challenge yourself. When you see envy and selfish ambition rise in your heart, call it for what it is. Right. Call it out. Now, you don't have to do that verbally. If you're driving and you're driving alone, that's okay to do. Uh, envy, selfish ambition, call it out. I, because a lot of times, they, no, I'm a pastor. I'm ordained. I don't have those. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what, because of the gospel, let me ask you this. Is God mad at you? He's not mad at you. Can you face yourself? Even if envy comes up within you, even if selfish ambition comes up, can you, can you say, hey, that's me right now? Yes, you can. You can call it out because God's not angry at you and you don't have to play a game, not to wear a mask. Christianity is not a game. It's freedom. And so, so the reality is, call, call yourself out. And then the last application, and I do this and I'm starting to do it more and more. Pete, you know what that is that's nothing less than envy that's nothing less than selfish ambition i don't always tell everybody but that dialogue is going on the last application is get a friend and tell them when you're struggling with those things and let them pray for you but choose the right guy right girl that can pray for you because if they if you if they if they're not trustworthy, they'll bring it to a Bible study and say, hey, pray for so and so. They're struggling with envy and selfish ambition. You need somebody that'll hold it, hold it under and pray for you. Lift up your arms. This is such a good text, isn't it? Even though it's hard, it will build a unity in the church. And here's why. Core faith is here for a purpose. Core faith is is not here by accident. Your pastor has an influence. Um, your pastors and your bishop have an influence in Oviedo far more than you think. He's the head of the ministerial organization in Oviedo. This church is here for a purpose. The way you worship, the the focus that you have on the Word of God, the direction you're going, you are here. For a purpose. And this teaching of James is going to continue to build the unity and the strength to make a difference in this community until Jesus comes back. Would you pray for me on this stuff? And I'll pray for you. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for what you have done, Lord Jesus, to pay for our sin our envy and our our selfish ambition but lord to set us free that we could be your daughters and sons who go down the road that's not traveled by many but is is the road that we should travel thank you for the freedom to go that way and we pray these things in your strong and holy name lord jesus amen